Oh, out of the blue. Here we are yet again. We are going to hit a little podcast here that uh, I think primarily will be pawn shoppery. So perhaps <clears throat> this will not be all that interesting to those who tune in primarily for uh, more gaming oriented stuff. Although this morning uh, I had a gaming moment, you know, where I was outside and walking the new puppy, Augie. He's a cutie. And uh, a cockapoo. He's uh, 12 weeks old. He's great. And so I'm walking the new puppy and I saw this crow uh, in the air, uh, like bullying, I guess is the best word, a hawk who was almost twice the crow's size. And uh, the crow was fucking with him in the worst way. And all I kept thinking is, dude, you're a hawk. You're a hawk. You're a freaking raptor, man. You're, you have fucking talons and, uh, and, and a wicked, you know, meat rending beak, you know. But it occurs to me that it's sort of a, you know, it's really an intelligence thing, isn't it? Like that, that crow, like that hawk knows he's a, dummy i think and that the crow clearly has him like mentally outfoxed i i don't know and i look i don't know me i don't why would a crow even bother a hawk why is it even about gaming i don't know it just gave me like some you know i don't know it gave me like some gaming vibe anyway i tried to take some photographs of it but couldn't get to a camera fast enough so that ends that story so why are we doing sort of this weird, not quite mid, a little past midweek interlude? There's been no gaming. Nothing's happened. Because pawn shoppery. Because in my last podcast, I threw it out that if anybody had a question. And somebody had a question. My buddy Tim Schwartz Gothridge Manor. He had a deep question. A hard question. So let's, uh, let's take a sec. Let's listen to that. And then I'll try to answer that. Hey, Howard, Tim Shorts from Gothridge Manor here. Interesting episode. Uh, Question-wise, I guess the economics of it, if you got somebody coming in, how do you figure out the, you know, evaluating, I guess, the value of an item, and then how much do you decide to give them? And when they come back, I guess you call it free the item, how much do you charge for them to buy it back, so to speak? and stuff like that like or maybe you're just like how much would it cost like say somebody comes in you buy something how much do you upcharge it in your shop i'm kind of curious about that so and yeah the bookstores if it goes away yeah it would definitely leave a giant hole in my rib cage and heart also so keep up the great episodes howard really enjoying them tim you have asked perhaps the biggest the most important question and it it has what amounts to the most arcane answer in the sense arcane in the sense that this is this is something that a pawn broker a pawn shop does not want you to understand 
but I'm getting a little ahead of myself because it, it destroys their business model a little bit. I mean, the less you know, the better off the pawnbroker is on any level, whether it's a loan or a buy-in. But but let me sort of start from the beginning. And, and this is going to go on for a little bit, I imagine. So you might want to buckle up. Okay. So a customer comes into the store. And there are two potential inbound situations. One is that someone is seeking a loan on an item. And the other is that someone wishes to sell an item. Now, sometimes a person doesn't know which, which they want to do, and they want to get a price for both. They want to have an offer placed on both. We can do that. That's fairly simple. The real problem here, when we talk about how the pawnbroker pays for things, is that excluding... Um, a marketable commodity such as gold or diamonds, which have their own problem, which we'll get to. Uh, most items that people buy, they have bought retail, they have paid too much for, and they have an expectation of the value based on what they've paid. And this is an illusion you know, uh, what you pay for something, what you're willing to pay for something and the avenues that you are able to acquire that item via, whether it be Amazon, online shopping, or in a store, uh, those bodies, those outlets have created an illusion of, of cost that does not apply to someone attempting to buy the item from you and then resell it. What most people think is a fair offer on whatever their item is, is A, based on what they paid for the item, and B, based on the assumption that the person they are selling it to will be using it, wearing it, owning it, etc. So almost everybody that walks into a pawn shop is bound to be disappointed. As a, as a seller or as someone looking for a loan. If you disavow yourself of the, of the, the falsehood of uh, that what you paid is the true value of the item, then you may be able to come to some arrangement. I would say that most arrangements that are come to, unfortunately, are not made from an intellectual position, from a reasoning position. But uh, on the customer's part, but are made out of a sense of necessity. In other words, a person comes into a pawn shop for the most part because they have no other option for money. And we provide an option. And so they, they come in uh, already, like out of the gate, they are in a, a bad headspace. Uh, and they're often combative. Okay, so we, 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 we now know that the value of the item that you're bringing in is an illusion. For the most part. So let's, we're going to go with two examples here, commodity-based and non-commodity-based. And we're going to use two very common items. Now, obviously, um, there are other options. And I'll, I'll try to touch briefly on, on things that, uh, that people have attached weird values to. But, but let's start with two. The most common transaction occurs with something that is gold. So for this argument, we're going to talk about a gold ring 
we're going to say it weighs four penny weight of gold. Penny weight is what we use. Many places we use grams. It really doesn't matter what the, how you use weight in this context. We, but we're old school. We've been around since 1968, so that's what we do. And they're looking to take a loan. And when they come in, in their head, they would like to take a loan of $50. There's no stones in the ring. It is a, let's just assume it's a wedding band. Uh, we'll keep it simple. It is a plain wedding band. It is four penny weight of gold. And they want to take $50. And they paid, well, let's just make it a round number. They paid $500 for their gold ring at a jewelry store. And they think that a $50 loan is very reasonable. Now, understand that that person may come in thinking they're going to get a $250 loan. What they expect to get is sort of irrelevant. But $50 to the, to the listener of this podcast, well, you'll be like, oh, well, that's uh, very reasonable for someone who paid $500 to get a $50 loan. Well, not really. Because what the customer does not understand are two things. One that primarily pawn shops these days are not buying merchandise to resell, uh, gold merchandise, say jewelry. Many, many, many pawn shops have converted from a model of reselling to the public on a, on a large scale to make most of their profit into, uh, into organizers of sort of scrap material. So we buy in gold and we sell it to a scrapper. And we are very far down the chain of scrap. So our guy who comes to buy it from us then sells it to another guy who it probably in all likelihood sells it to yet another guy. And there has to be money in there for everybody to make money. So let's say that the gold that the person brought in is 10 karat gold. I know 14K is probably more what you think of, but in my environment, 10K is more commonplace. And uh, I'm not going to give you an exact number here of what I pay per penny weight. But it's pretty easy to figure out. So let's say they want the loan of $50. So I weigh it up. It's four penny weight. Four penny weight. Well, you could do the math. You'll know what I pay per penny weight here. It's simple math. It doesn't change, by the way. This is, I do not, I'm not coming up with different numbers. When people bring me gold, I have a set number that I pay on a loan for 10 carat, for 14 carat, and for 18 carat. I very rarely see anything higher than that. And I rarely see 18 carat. It's a $20 loan. It's very simple. I don't even have to think about it. I know the minute I see the weight of the ring, I know exactly how much the loan is. And the person will get upset. They'll say, but I only want, I need 50. I paid 500. Well, the scrap value of that, first of all, I'm not buying the item. I'm only writing a loan on it, which will always net you more, or I'm sorry, will always net you less than selling the item. So then you say to yourself, Tim says, well, okay, $20 loan, that doesn't sound great. Uh, what if I was to sell the item to you? How, how, how much would I get then? Ah, so now you can get closer to your number. Can you get to 50? Probably, probably, probably not. I mean, my first instinct is to say 40. Do I always double the number? No, but about 10 bucks a penny weight right now uh, will net me a reasonable profit on four penny weight of gold. Okay, so let's take a brief interlude to talk about my business overhead. So you're not selling me the ring to wear as a wedding ring. And I'm not a guy who drives around in my car collecting gold from people so that I can resell it. My only overhead is the car and fuel and time, which are all overhead and have to be accounted for. But 
we have a physical building. It needs to be managed and maintained. We don't own the building. We lease the building. We have electric and we have gas and we have... There are three people working in the store. That means that there are salaries and there is all number of all manner. If anyone listening to this owns a business or has owned a business, they understand that there is a lot of overhead that the customer does not see, does not understand, does not comprehend, and um, cannot equate to your attempt to build some level of uh, profitability, of manageable profitability into either a loan or a sale. Okay, so here we go. We've got the ring. It was $20 loan. It was $40 buy-in. There you go, Tim. Very simple. Um, are my numbers the same as everybody else's numbers on something like that? No. So understand that wherever you go, they may offer you a little more. They may offer you a little less. Some pawn shops may be in a place where they can resell gold to uh, the end user at a fairly wide margin beyond scrap and so may loan you more on that item <coughs> others may loan you a little less uh we are not regulated in the sense of we're not we're not organized we're not a uh, cabal so we don't call each other and figure out what we're paying for gold this week are we regulated yes how much interest? Now let's talk about the interest on a loan. So the municipality of Philadelphia and the state of Pennsylvania both have regulations and rules about how, how much we can charge. And quite honestly, it's very reasonable. So let's say you decide to take that $20 loan. So I'm going to charge you a $2 loan fee. And the, uh, the interest in the first 30 days is $1.50. And that is the most interest that I can charge. The loan fee is a little bit more flexible, but it has to be something reasonable. You know, well, what is the loan fee for? The loan fee is for the processing of the loan, the paperwork that we have to fill out, submit, and manage. It's simple. And that loan fee can go anywhere from two to about $10, depending on the size of the loan. And that's it, caps out of 10, never gets higher. That loan fee is a one time fee, does not accrue monthly. People also forget that a loan is a loan is a loan is a loan. And like a bank, your fees or your interest compounds every 30 days. So in the second 30 days, you go to another dollar fifty, et cetera, et cetera. I think the maximum that loan could ever possibly be is about $28. So you loan, and that's in five months. And after that, you've lost the item. Now it belongs to us. Okay. So there we go. You've got a loan for 20. You got to pay back 23.50 in the first month. If you wait till the end, you got to pay $28 or so. And then uh, at the end of five months, if you go five months and, and one minute, you're done. You've lost the loan. That gold is ours and it will be scrapped. Simple. And that, that gold number for 10K, you could apply across the board. There's a little more for 14. There's a little more for 18. And the fluctuations in gold are generally fairly small over time. So when people come in and say, what's gold this week? Well, it's really the same it was last week and the week before and the week before. And we don't really change those numbers aggressively unless something very drastic happens in the market. And even then, we may not change our numbers. Why? Because if something drastic happens today in the market, something drastic can happen tomorrow in the market. So we're not quick to adjust our loan numbers. Um, we sort of keep them where they are. And so sometimes we're a loser if the, if the market goes down. Sometimes we're a winner if the market goes up. But we're the ones gambling there. You're not gambling as the customer. You're getting the same loan and you, you know, you're expected to pay back the same loan. Your loan does not fluctuate based on markets. Okay, let's take another example. You've brought a television to me. Now, this is very common. 
people bring me a lot of televisions. Before we get deeper into televisions, let's just explain that there are essentially three tiers of television, as far as I'm concerned. There is top-tier television. There is LG. There is Samsung. There are the people buying the, the nicest uh, LED panels or LED panels. Um, they are building the nicest televisions. They have the nicest software. They have the best support. Uh, and your television that you've bought from Samsung or LG, you should and could expect to live for a very long time. There are mid-tier televisions. Um, I would probably start with a Vizio. Uh, I would say that um, they sort of dominate the mid-tier. There aren't too many mid-tier TVs. There are, however, a lot of shitty TVs. So let's be very clear about that up front. And my customers buy a lot of shitty TVs. So who are the shitty TV manufacturers? TLC, Westinghouse, Element, Insignia, uh, Kobe, uh, ProScan. These are TVs that you could buy at, uh, anywhere, at anywhere, but even at someplace like a Rite Aid would have a TV uh, to sell you. It would be like Kobe or ProScan or something of that nature. We do not write loans on third-tier televisions. We will occasionally, if they are relatively new and we can test it, we will occasionally buy one. We will write loans against other televisions, you know, uh, second and first-tier televisions. But here's the problem. It's an electronic device. They make millions of electronic devices, and electronic new ones are coming out daily. I mean, what is the rate of like inception, like new televisions. What is the rate for that? It's obscene. Two, could, two new televisions could come out every day. I, I don't know. But I think that few people would argue with me that it is a, a product in which they're, they're, they are constantly generating new ones um, and they, you know, older ones become cheaper. And so the slope of return in the, on a, a, a television item is not good financially. You buy a television to watch television. I say this a lot to people. They don't get it. They don't want to hear it. They're aggravated by it. But any device, any electronic device, a computer, a television, a stereo, you buy it to be entertained. And that is what you are paying for. Are you paying too much? Perhaps, but that's irrelevant. Let's say you've spent $500 on a 50-inch television. You didn't buy that television to make money back on it, or you should not have bought that television. I should say you should not have done that because that would be a foolish thing to do. You should have bought that television because, A, you wanted a new television. You wanted a larger television. The new game, the big game was coming on. You wanted to invite people over. Your old television had a line running through the front of it, whatever. Uh, and you were expecting to have that television in your living room, your bedroom, wherever, your den, and watch that television for five, eight, ten years before you were going to have to think about a television again. That is how a normal, intelligent person thinks about a television. But my customers, well, they're not in a normal position. They're generally not that intelligent. And uh, even those that are have a lot of cognitive dissonance. So they've spent $500 and they want to get $250 out of that television. And over $300, you know, it, well, that's fine. Look, if you bought a television this week and now all of a sudden you have to pay a bill and you say to your friend, Steve, yo, Steve, I just bought this new TV, but I got to pay my phone bill. You want to buy it for 
Steve might say, sure, yeah, I'll do that for you. I mean, that, that works for both of us. You get the money you need, and I get the television that I, that I desire, and uh, yeah, I'm good with that. But we're not taking the television home. We have to resell that television. And when people go to the store and they see that that television is $500, well, they're going to come in my store and expect to see that that television is $200, $250. So now you say to yourself, oh, well, you should be able to pay uh, half of that again, like $125 for that television. No, I can't do that. Why? Time. Because I am bound by law to hold that television for 90 days. And how many new televisions are going to come out in three months? So now I've got a television that's three months older than when I bought it. It's used and people are going to expect um, a, to be able to, to to fight me on the price that I've put on there. Even if I put on there $250, they're going to want to buy it for $200. I still have to manage some sort of profit in order to keep the lights on and keep the the you know, to get the heat on and to keep things going, to buy the paper for the till and to pay for the people who work for me. So what can I pay for a 50 inch television? Probably between 60 and $75. Probably, unless there's something really miraculous about the television. And don't tell me it's a smart TV because every TV is a smart TV now. And even if you don't have a smart TV, you can plug in a smart, whatever, a Chromecast or a, you know, or whatever and make your TV the smartest TV on the block. So that's sort of a nonsense argument at this point. It was it was for a moment important. 3D televisions, by the way, came and went. We never paid more for them and we're glad we didn't because it really was a, a bullshit thing and it means nothing. Okay, so a customer comes in, they spent $500 on their TV, they want to get $250, I offer them $60. Well, I get a lot of people who tell me I'm out of my fucking mind. And that's fine. But I also get a lot of people who need that $60 and whether or not they understand why I'm paying that 60 or 70 or $75, they need that money. And, uh, and they feel as though I've arm wrestled them or I'm, or I'm taking advantage, let's just say of their uh, bad situation. I am not taking advantage of them. I'm paying what I can pay and I'm fine. If someone doesn't, uh, want to take that money. I don't get mad or upset. I don't fight about it. I don't argue. I say, well, thank you for coming in. Thanks for bringing your item in. We really appreciate you coming to us. Uh, and we do. You know, we do. So, okay, we're 20 minutes deep. I mean, this is a conversation, understand, Tim, that can go on for a long time. Um, we haven't even touched on something, a whole other category of item that people assess at a very high value, but generally doesn't have that high value and that is collectibles. Why doesn't it have that high valuable that a value? Uh, there's a limited audience. So a television has a wide audience. Gold has, you know, only one audience that I require really, but two essentially um, large audiences. Uh, a collectible item has a very narrow, very narrow audience. And so, uh, but people come in expecting a very high amount of money for something that, you know, their grandfather bought a helmet from World War II back from the Japanese soldier that he killed and they want a thousand dollars for it. Well, you've been watching too much fucking Pawn Stars. Um, I don't, I don't even want that item. That item's too hard for me to sell. So I actually, I would reject an item like that for the most part. Same thing with sports collectibles. And I get a lot of people coming, bringing me baseballs or baseball cards or basketball cards or whatever. I don't care about that. That's too hard to deal with. We want items that are easy to buy in 
and that are easy to sell. We sell a lot of tools, used tools, good ones, um, Milwaukee, DeWalt. That's become a large part of our our business, whether it's uh, selling online or selling in the store. If you come into our store, probably 50% of our store is dominated by tools. Our, our entire front window is filled with tools. It's a huge draw. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much longer uh, anyone would want to listen to this sort of analysis. How do I determine what to put it out for? What to, what to, uh, what to sell something for? Well, the, the, that's already sort of been decided, you know. There's an, an online market you may or may not be aware of. You probably are, and that's eBay. And people use eBay every day for everything for the most part. I mean, there's very few items that you can't look up on eBay. And one of the things you can filter by on eBay is sold items, and you can look at what something has been sold for. So it's very easy if you get a computer in, a laptop, to find the model number, determine the specs, go online, put all that information in, and see what the last 10 models sold for. And now you know what to sell it for. And you know whether or not it's an item you want to sell in the store or out of the store, i.e. sell on eBay. So if I have a computer that could get $500, I'm probably going to put that on eBay. My customer base can't afford or won't spend $500 in my store on a laptop. But if I have a laptop that... uh, is only selling for about $110 on eBay. Well, I probably could get $175, $199, something in that zone in the store, in my store. Um, and, and that's someone walking into a business and they see a decent computer for under $200. That's sort of a win-win for everybody. I mean, that's how I look at it. So we often will use uh, eBay as our our determinant. Now, of course, eBay for this store, which has been around since 1968, is a fairly new invention. So how did we do it before then? Well, first of all, I haven't been there long enough to have had to not do it this way. But in discussions with people who have, um, it's fairly simple. You know, you go to uh, a normal store that sells televisions and you figure out what those televisions sell for and you figure out what you have to make on the television, what you paid for the television, and you come up with a number. Um, Sometimes you're pulling it out of your ass. Uh, But again, you have to leave yourself room for two things, to make enough money, to keep the lights on, and keep everything going. And the pawn shop is one of the last places in America where you can haggle for something in a brick-and-mortar environment. You generally can't go into a Best Buy and haggle with the guy. Uh, you know, you really, it's not normal. You, you know, you go into Best Buy and a TV is $800 and you expect to pay $800. That's it. And if you say, well, I'll give you $700 for that TV, they'll be like, I don't understand. It says $800. I, I don't, I'm confused. But the pawn shop, it's expected that you'll, as that I, as the pawnbroker, will be able to haggle a bit. So I have to build something into the price that I'm listing it at to give some leeway, you know, to make that available. Oh, this is going on and on and on. I'm going to end it there. I feel like that's a lot of good advice. My best advice for you is if you're going in to sell something, try to have an open mind. Don't be locked into the price you paid for something. Figure out what you need to get for it. And figure out if the pawn shop is the right place for you. Perhaps you should be selling that item on eBay. 
I don't know how fast you need some money, but we pay in the instant we buy and eBay, well, it can take some time. So maybe don't, don't, you know, don't wait till the last minute to get rid of some items that you may see some impending doom coming your way financially. And if the impending doom is not foreseeable, well, then at least go into the pawn shop, understanding that they have a whole set of issues that they have to deal with that have nothing to do with your preconceived notions about what you paid for something, what its value is and what you need to get. Um, it's very one-sided, you know. Um, also understand retail operations, they're, they're selling you items from three to 100 times what they cost. That's 100 times. They're selling you something from three to 100 times what their actual manufacturer costed. So in, in retrospect, you're probably being handled uh, in a much kinder way financially at a pawn shop. Also understand that when I do sell jewelry, I sell it at a very reasonable, rational price and that the price being sold, jewelry, the price that jewelry is sold at, gold and silver and diamonds, etc., in a jewelry store, that is tantamount to financial rape. Unless you absolutely have to have a custom piece of something made, I would shop at a hundred, I would look at a hundred pawn shops to find what I want before I would even think to step foot into a jewelry store. And I would never, ever settle on whatever they're telling me the final price is at a jewelry store. I just wouldn't do it. Jewelry is one of the biggest bullshit con artist nonsense things ever. And uh, a ring that I sell for $500 could be upwards of $2,000 plus at a jewelry store. Same ring, same weight, same quality. Doesn't make any sense. In fact, the pawn shop is a great place to shop for a lot of different things. And people don't often think about it. But you know what? If someone has a couple of miles on a TV and you need a new TV and you don't want to spend $800, go spend $300 on a relatively new used TV. In other words, a TV that was made in 2017 still has a lot of time left on it, even if it was played 24-7. Um, I think people think of pawn shops as very negative. Uh, it has a real negative connotation, has a negative vibe. People don't think to go there unless they're in need, but they and they rarely think to go there to pick up items that they do need or that they want. And inventory is changing all the time. There are always interesting things at the pawn shop. It is always worth stopping into one if you just happen to be passing by and you have nothing better to do and some time to kill. I can't tell you how many times I've worked or I've been on vacation. I've seen a pawn shop. I've walked in. I've walked out with a new lens for my camera or, you know, something uh, that I'm able to work out a deal with. And of course, going in there, uh, you know, I have a, uh, maybe an attitude that, that certainly the general populace doesn't have. But Tim, I hope that cleared some of it up. I don't know, man. It's a big question. I mean, we could spend a couple of days together talking about uh, how things are bought and sold in a pawn shop. And, and it, it, I know even after all that, you're still like, I am confused about how you are paying for something. Like what metric are you using for that television? Are you paying a third? Well, sometimes, I mean, if a brand new television in a sealed box comes in, I may pay a third, uh, a third of what I see it being sold for. Sure. Yeah. Half? No. I mean, very rarely. Sometimes. Have I paid half for something? Yeah. If there's enough money in it for me, if I can make enough profit, sometimes half makes sense. There's, it's, it's very situational. It's very hard to give you the hard and fast rules. Very difficult. 
to give you the hard and fast rules about uh, how a pawnbroker pays for something. It's something you learn over time. You use all the tools at your disposal and you have to be able to read people and find out what their needs are and what they want out of the, out of the deal. Uh, it's not a job that everybody can do well or, or even manage, can't even do okay. I mean, uh, there've been guys who come in and are just never very good at it. Um, it's hard and, and, and people come in very combative. So yeah, it's stressful. It's like a mentally, you know, I'm not, I, I have to lift things and move things throughout my day, but physical labor, that's not what exhausts me by the end of the day. It's, uh, it's people and understand we're in a, a very, uh, like lower social stratosphere zone here. Very, uh, low income, a lot of, uh, a lot of welfare people, um, you know, People try to sell me like broken things from the garbage all the time. So that's, you know, it's just part of my day. If you have, if you want me to drill deeper, Tim, let me know. This is 30 minutes long. This is insane. This is 30 minutes long. This is the longest podcast I think I've ever done. Pawnbroking is a deep, deep subject. I'm happy, Tim, to drill down into something if, uh, if that helps you or if you have deeper questions about something. I have to head into the store now. It's 9.08. I'm just sitting in the car. So I'm going to run in and get the day started and thanks for the question and I'm happy to answer any more. Take it easy guys. Activated.